<laughs> All right, are we All live? Right. We're live. We're working now. We're working On now. Blank screen. All right. Good Lord. This is the end of the world. You gonna headbang? Can't even do. I mean, I guess you could headbang. Do you headbang to REM? You could. No. <laughs> All right. Second try. We're back All on. Right. Everything seems to be working now. So I think we're good. Oh, my goodness. Hey, man. It's, you know what? Actually, the computers at work were not working today either. I think everyone is on the internet since we're all locked in our houses. Yeah. yeah. It's just slowing down. Being overloaded. Yeah. For sure. That's crazy. All right. Cool. Well, we're on. Finally. Good to go. So we're back. Okay. I, hope, I hope everybody uh, is still with us and didn't just like see this live video has ended and just leave. <laughs> Think no, I have, missed it. We have and, Ernie says that it's self-corrected right before we left. Like as soon as we were going, it was like it fixed. Oh, figures. <laughs> yeah, of course. Ain't that the okay. way it is? All right. My goodness. I think this has kind of been one of those uh, episodes that's, that we've been talking about for a long time and wanting to do uh, eschatology, end times, book mm. of revelation, the apocalypse, all that stuff um so yeah so now we're finally here it's kind of we were gonna try and set it up a little bit and like kind of maybe do some more studying and reading and look at things and and have a little more structure to it but then the world actually ended and then we, <laughs> we thought hey man, it might be relevant to, to talk about this because we kept seeing also like posts about this is it this is the god's coming soon and he, you know, Christ Jesus' second coming is, is, is coming soon. So here we are, get ready. And, you know, you're running out of time and the mark of the beast. And this is, this is what this means. And just prophesy, you know, interpreting biblical prophecy with our newspaper and Facebook feed and the news and whatever, which is never good. It was never a good thing to do. So we saw a lot of that going on with this coronavirus. So we thought maybe we should kind of just talk about that too. Cause we're pretty, we're pretty set on what we believe about the end times, all three mm -hmm. of us, um, maybe more, some, more, some less than others. I mean, more I mean I'm, I'm right, but yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're pretty set, but um, <laughs> I think we're pretty set, but yeah. So we just want to talk about that and um, yeah, get it going. So, all right. Eschatology basically just means, um, study of the end times, study of the last things, um, the eschaton, the, the second coming of Christ. And with that, of course, is the book of Revelation, which is a very, um, can be a very confusing book, a very weird book of like, what do we see in here is like a dragon, a beast, and just like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, but um, how do you guys want to start? Just like our do what we believe in in that in that sort of thing, or just kind of like a little a quick little rundown on all the different eschatologies that there are. Uh, I think yep. a quick rundown on all of them probably yeah. the best idea. Yeah. Okay. So I was I was hoping we could find like some kind of charts because those help the best uh, as far as what this um, what they look like and timelines and stuff, but. Um, it, it seems to basically fall fall into three different eschatologies, and those are uh, premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. So you notice they all have the word millennialism in there, mm. and that's not you know people born in 1990. That is <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, I think we're all postmillennial on that, but um, 
that is the millennium in uh, in Revelation 20, the, the idea of the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. Like, when is that happening? Where mm-hmm. are we according to that? Are we before that? Are we after that? Are we in that right now? Um, that's is it of, literal? Is it figurative? Is it coming? Yeah, is it past? A literal oh, thousand right. years, or is it just kind of a long time, or, or what? So that's kind of what all these eschatologies kind of revolve around is is these different sort of millennialisms, pre-mill, amill, and post-mill, and that's kind of how we'll, we'll be talking about them this way. But uh, pre-millennialism, amillennialism, and post-millennialism. So, do you want to kind of define those just like a roundabout way? Yeah. Well, I don't, but I <laughs> I'll let the I. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the i'd rather model. not but yeah. julian you got it <laughs> so premillennialism is like if you're an american it's the only one you knew of until the internet existed basically me yeah so I, yeah, all of too. us were all of us yeah. yeah all of us are pre. i think me and you were both talking about uh the idea of not being premillennial at the same time because of apologia who th- you you and me i think you brought it up to me because uh, i came to you at work to tell you about his Mormon videos. And then yeah. you were like, Hey, have you seen this other stuff about the, the post-millennial stuff? And I was like, no, I haven't seen any of that. Yeah. And that was like the beginning of the rabbit trail. Yeah. And this, this is usually closely associated with reform doctrine um, with uh, like Calvinism and, and reform doctrine of Christianity. Um, but my introduction to reform doctrine was James White, who's not post-mill. So, right. but, but, by, but by James White, I found Jeff Durbin and right. Doug Wilson. And they're super post mill. So I started reading Doug Wilson. What is, what is James White? He's he, amillennial. Amil. Yeah. Yeah, but Doug Wilson is post mill. Nobody's so. perfect. So. Yeah, right? Well, <laughs> he's still fallible. But we'll, what, what James White will say is that he has not studied uh, eschatology a lot. And yeah, but it just makes sense. So he's right. Well, yeah. If you don't I mean, read, yeah, I, I guess it makes sense if you haven't studied it. <laughs> the people I, I tell you this everybody who's pre-mill or amill have not studied it everybody mm. who is post-mill has studied it be and, real be uh, real <laughs> well speaking as as used used to be pre-mill that's true like for sure you're you're saying what you've been told basically right. and everything you look up about it is that because it's for so many years it's been the dominant view in american christianity you know, and, uh, and pre and pre mill and all that whole rapture and everything was mm-hmm. only brought up what? How many years ago? Like two hundred? Uh, it it got really prominent in the early nineteen. I actually did take notes on this in the early nineteen hundreds, uh, because the Schofield Reference Bible became super popular, and he yeah. believed in that eschatology. So when you got his Bible, you got his notes, and when you got his yeah. notes, you got his theology. So because yeah. it was so widespread, it became the dominant view. Yeah, the Schofield Reference Bible was introduced. Uh, the, the current idea of left behind right. and the rapture and the tribulation and Armageddon battle and all that. Like mm-hmm. and that was, the idea is the idea is a little bit years. older. Like in the the late 1800s is when you start to see the apocalyptic cults spring up people doing calculations on like, Oh, this is going to be the end in 1853 or 1879. And that's where you get like the people who sold all their possessions and went to wait on their rooftops. So that's where you get Mormonism. That's where they're called Latter-day Saints. Cause they're in the latter days. That's where you get Jehovah's Witnesses with their ideas. They're a little bit later, but it's in that same time frame. That late 1800s, early 1900s is where you get that apocalyptic mindset in America. Yeah. Yeah, which I had, I mean, big time. Mm-hmm. I was always looking for a new world order, the Antichrist, the temple's going to be built. I mean, I that's that's just what I thought every American believed. I, I mean, I thought every every single person who was in right. Christ Right, you believed. just thought that's what's right because that's all you hear. Right, right. Yeah. So... 
Abby, define amillennialism because I don't think I can define it still because sometimes when I read it, I don't understand completely what okay. it is. Okay, so I'm I'm 100% still learning on this whole thing. So I definitely want to say that maybe what I say is not 100% correct or I'm still learning. But from my understanding is that amillennialism, and that's where I fall, is and postmillennialism sees the whole world being Christianized. In my point of view, I see it as the church. Like everything talked about perfected and we won't teach each other anymore is talking about the church as opposed to the world. So is the millennium, yeah, is the millennium, the millennium figurative? Yeah. That's that's where I'm sketchy. That's where I don't understand completely. Yeah, I think, I think we pretty much believe the same thing as the post mills on the millennium. Like the millennium started when Christ, Mm -hmm. and honestly, I think some people say, some people say. Yeah. You don't believe that we're in it. We believe we're in the millennium now. Right. I think we're the same on that. You believe we're in the millennium now? Y'all believe that, right? That's what I believe, but right, yeah. See, so that's why the, these two always kind of because I'm like, well, we're almost saying the same thing. We're just slightly no. not saying the same thing. I think I think we're millennialism is like there is no millennium. There's no, not, no, 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 no. That's that's a total misconstrued. Shall I read the study notes from my ESV study Bible? <laughs> Wait, on, who, on millennialism. Who, who put together the study notes in this Bible? <laughs> right. Go ahead. I don't know. Some guy named Schofield or something. <laughs> 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 no. Uh, yeah, so Book of Revelation, the ESV Study Bible has some really good notes on this and also has like really good uh, timelines and charts and stuff because those are really important just kind of getting a handle on all this. But um, on the amillennialism section, uh, it says, uh, says um, well, see, and that's the thing, there's, there's historicism, preterism, and idealism. Um, so on this says, however, amillennialists believe that the biblical evidence indicates that there is and will be no millennium in the sense anticipated by premillennialism or postmillennialism before the consummation of history, when sin and curse are utterly banished in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, Second Peter 3.13. Through Christ's death and resurrection, Satan was bound and therefore is unable to hold the Gentiles in ignorance or gather a worldwide coalition against the church. Therefore, the gospel now advances by the Spirit's power through the church's witness, but, also, but always amid opposition and suffering. So there's so so I guess it's the different it's like a millennium but not an optimistic millennial reign. No, it is optimistic. It's more so of a millennial reign of Christ's reign as he's building his church instead but, of building. But there will always be opposition. Well, before yeah, there, there will always be opposition. And before so, before we get into deals with everything. <laughs> before we get into the difference between our eschatology, let's talk about the one that we can agree is not. Yeah. An accurate representation yeah. of which, which is probably the view of most people watching because right. it's, it's, it tends to be the most like mainstream right. view so and that is dispensation dispensational premillennialism mm. so meaning we are before the the millennial reign right in in revelation in revelation 20 so um it might help to to go to revelation but <laughs> yeah, it's but, a good idea. But the uh, the the pre-mill view, uh, the left behind view, the tribulation, all all that kind of view is that uh, the church will grow, church will get smaller in over time. That mm-hmm. that that Christians will be always oppressed, always uh, suffering and, and in op- facing opposition until it grows smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. The church in the world, the, the Christian church in the world, will grow smaller and smaller and smaller. And then once it's like at its final gasp, I guess, then there will be a rapture. Mm. And 
a secret rapture and see this is this is where it gets nutty a secret rapture where people just vanish you know you right. close all yep. were raptured they just people just disappear yes. right and they they go to heaven and that's that's the secret second coming like i don't know like the second coming of christ to bring people up and, and make them vanish that's the secret rapture the 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 was it the secret um yeah it's like second coming eschaton secret eschaton so that is uh so that'll happen and then it's a period of tribulation right and right. Where, where the world is just goes to hell like you know satan is just like it's just ruling it's just terrible horrible this, antichrist like, mark, antichrist, of, the mark of, the beast, of the world yeah like you know antichrist so, is gonna sit in the temple declare himself god yeah yeah it's just bad time and then the battle of armageddon which is like a real literal battle in a field where the where christ comes back uh with the christians and like slaughters everybody all the non-christians <laughs> i guess yeah basically that were left behind and uh and i guess you can be saved during the tribulation too during this time as well according like, to left behind like seven you years like a seven-year tribulation time right and then then jesus comes back has this all-out final battle between i guess christians and non-christians and then the christians and jesus are just going to literally slaughter all the non-christians uh and win the battle of armageddon and then then jesus starts the thousand year reign right I, thousand I mean, thousand year literal thousand literal years thousand year where he rules the world from jerusalem as the king of earth and right. that's not and, even new earth right right that's his current that's earth. current earth Yeah. And then, so, yeah. So, and then a thousand, so that's the literal thousand years. And then uh, the new kingdom and the new earth, new heaven and new earth in, right. in God's kingdom. He ushers in God, the kingdom of God. Uh, so, so yeah. what would y'all say is the main objection to that view? Uh, I'd start with Antichrist. If I was going to find like the main objection, I would start with that. Because that's like, that's the thing that people are always looking for is like the, the idea of the one world government. Like that's where the main um conspiracy focus seems to be like oh look they're consolidating the european union they're getting rid of money it's a one world government it's a one world religion but right. the the problem is that the there is no antichrist as in the one antichrist in scripture like the idea is not there the beast is not the antichrist like the one of the like aha moments for me was realizing that antichrist is not a term in revelation at all yeah so the term antichrist <laughs> yeah, is in but it's always but it's always referred to as the antichrist in revelation right but what's so what's weird about it but is the word antichrist like isn't in revelation right it's it's in first john and second john that's the only place it appears and it's defined both times and never is it defined as like a one person opposition as a matter of fact so in first john uh he says you know that the spirit of antichrist is coming in fact it already has come many have come so he's saying there's many antichrists and he defines it as someone who denies the father and the son, which is a very broad category, right? Like that's not specific to one person. That could be multitudes of people. And then in second John, he redefines it as anyone who denies that the son came in the flesh. So like the, the historical background is that John is dealing with the Gnostic heresy that's popping up at this time in the church. And the Gnostics had that idea of like the separation of body and spirit. Anything material is bad. Anything spirit is good. So the son could not have taken on flesh because flesh is evil. And why would the perfect God do that? So they had this crazy idea that the when Christ was walking on earth, he was basically a ghost. He didn't have a physical body. 
So uh, the resurrection was an illusion. The, the crucifixion was an illusion. He couldn't die because he wasn't a person. That's right, that's the Gnostics. Gnostics. And you see their, their theology developing as he's writing his letters. So he's addressing it more and more as it comes. Like at no point in his letters does he ever define it as a one man who will rule the government as the literal antithesis to Jesus, the negative Messiah. Like that's not a concept that comes from the Bible. So would you say that there are many antichrists? There's a lot of comments coming saying there's many antichrists. Right. Yeah. I mean, just anybody who denies, yeah, like it's a spirit of antichrist. It says too, like about you're either either in Christ or you're you're antichrist. I mean, he set it up himself when he said, "If you're not for me, you're against me." Like that's kind of the line he drew, right? And I guess part of that is a a neutrality thing too. Like like you said, I think last week when you were talking about the myth of neutrality, we had this idea that like you're neutral and you choose to be for God or for evil. Yeah. Whereas Jesus never made that distinction. It was like, you're one team or the other. That's the only options you have. Well, and it's like, there's not even another team. And that's the thing that, that, that premill, that premillennialism gets wrong too, is that this idea of like Satan's kingdom and Christ's kingdom, and they're battling for our souls. And there's this dualistic, like cosmic chess game or something that's going to be Armageddon. And that's what's happening. Right. It's not right. Christ owns the world. This mm. is Christ's world. Right. And there was one kingdom and rebels to the kingdom. They don't right. have a kingdom. They don't have yes. a, a space that is their own. God created everything, including Satan, including hell, everything. So it is under God's control. So there's no there's no opposing force, equal and opposite forces right. at, at war with each other for humanity or something. That's really how it how it's presented right. um, in premillennialism. And that's just not the case. There's one kingdom and rebels to the kingdom. Christ right. is... is sovereign and has dominion and satan is in rebellion and you know people can be as well right and that's that's psalm 110 and kiss the sun or perish in the way lest he become angry (laughs) with you like you either you get on board or you're done that those are the only two options there's there's no no um alternate kingdom that's fighting a battle against so yeah that that's kind of my where i would start is just breaking apart that idea of antichrist because that's so ingrained in our idea that we're always looking for him like where is he where's he going to be right. who is he is he this it's guy it's trump this guy? it's obama it's... well the what's the biggest one right the the biggest one for a long time is who it's the pope the pope the pope yeah. is the antichrist yeah which which apparently according to our friend alex we don't know who the pope <laughs> is so so we can, I, <laughs> don't still, know. still holding out for tom hanks but we'll see <laughs> what <laughs> but uh, yeah so that's um so is that a good uh, definition like premillennialism i, I kind of want to stay on like the right the, if anyone if anyone is female. if anyone is premillennial and like we're missing something you know comment please because we'll see it um yeah well and this would probably be a comment heavy situation as far as, as, far as that, yeah, but, yeah. ernie ernie lawrence actually just said hitler hitler was another was an often an yeah 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 i mean i mean yeah <laughs> My uncle said Matthew twelve thirty. I'm like trying to get there in my Bible to look. Your uncle? Yeah, my uncle. Hey, Uncle Jason. Which uncle? Oh man. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's that was really offensive. You were uh, you were excited to right? You were so excited to even know who it was. That was rude. He didn't. Oh, Abby, he didn't meet it, Uncle Jason. When Abby says my uncle, <laughs> you just light up. Yeah, he said Matthew twelve thirty. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Right. So, I mean, that's pretty clear, this idea that there's like two, the two kingdoms, there's not two kingdoms, there's a kingdom and there's like pockets of rebels around. Essentially, I like the Doug Wilson idea is that the the battle is over, you can come along quietly. That's how this works. Like you don't, you don't get to set up your own kingdom. Like, no, you've already lost. You just, you can accept that 
or you can perish. Those are your two options. Yeah. And I think that's the whole point of revelation in a whole, like whether it was to the first century church or whether it was to the church in general is the fact that Christ is King, like Christ has conquered Christ will fulfill everything that the father has said to him. And that's the whole purpose of revelation in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I mean, hope that, that God wins. Right. I mean, and that's not only wins, but has won. Like it's a foregone conclusion. It's not so much like we're waiting for him to win. It's like, no, he won when he resurrected like that. He won. Right. There's, there's nothing left to do. He, it is finished. He, he did what he needed to do to redeem mankind. Now it's just the come along quietly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's the great commission, you know, Matthew uh, 28, uh, 16, you know, well, 17. And then they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And, um, you know, is it that? The great, yeah, great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Uh, all. Oh, so I'm sorry. Verse 18. And Jesus came to them, says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, I, I just don't know what else that can mean. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not like will be given, but this is a right. thing that's done. Like all right. authority on earth has been given to Jesus. And that uh, people that, that's hard like because like as far as i understand post-millennialism it was the eschatology of christianity until world war one um when when things are still the first till the till the uh, 20th century and and that's when like schofield reference bible came out and so we see we kind of look, start looking around and thinking man this isn't really that great like a lot of things in the world aren't really good uh, and they're supposed to be getting better according to post-millennialism. Um, so what, what are we, what's going on here? So I think that was kind of like World War II, ha- World War One happening was was perfect for uh, Schofield Reference Bible. Right. To, to kind of be coming around at the same time. So because it just kind of put a context, biblical context, what people were seeing around them um, of like, okay, maybe this isn't, we're not living so, in a, a good church age that's just where the church is going to grow maybe it's do, we, do we want to define post-millennialism since right that's what i was going to say a lot now. of people have no idea what that means yeah so we've talked about pre-millennialism which is the left behind rapture tribulation armageddon you know kind of stuff and uh take pre-millennials take the bible uh, takes revelation book of revelation literally like as literally as possible Right. Um, which causes all kinds of problems. When but, I've even seen a post things. about someone saying like, Jesus is coming with a sword hanging out of his mouth. And he's like, <laughs> like, real literal. Oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it just, it gets crazy, especially when we talk about the new Jerusalem, right? The city and right. the dimensions of that city. People don't stop to think about what that would actually look like and how we would actually live there. I mean, it would like pass the moon or something as far right as far as like how it would sit on earth like it could well, like sit on earth i i uh this is kind of a side note but i saw somebody use that as justification as why the earth is flat because the new jerusalem only literally works on a flat earth so okay. this is this is another side note is the new jerusalem the dimensions that are given is mm-hmm. a perfect is a perfect cube right yes yes yeah. and the only place that was a perfect cube in the sanctuary is the most holy place where god right. dwells so right. it literally just means that the new Jerusalem is where God will dwell with his people mm. physically. And yeah. that's an important side note that we kind of kind of establish is that revelation is a callback to the entire old Testament. Right. Like if you're not reading it in the context of the old Testament, you're not reading it correctly. Right. You yeah. Just, John, you, yeah. John wasn't writing 
in my opinion, John wasn't writing like being like, all right, these might these chips, these vaccines, they're gonna they're gonna get you. Right. Like, well, have you seen the meme where like they're reading it and they're like, man, I feel sorry for those people when this happens, or like, and I, I thought this book had something to do with me. Like, if if it, we read it in that way, it had nothing to do with the people reading it. They have no right. idea. I think right. Wilson Wilson was the one who had the joke that when they translate six 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 and they figure it out, they're like, well, who who is uh, Barack Obama? <laughs> like that's you know it doesn't make any sense if you read it in that way to the people who it was written to yeah right. or for or for anybody it was written to or mm-hmm. for thousands of years after that right it, it just yeah. no, like, nothing for them yeah so post-millennialism is uh just kind of roughly is the idea that um we are living in the millennium now and that christ will return after the millennium so, and it's not a literal thousand years. It's just a long period of time that, um, that is Christ's reign on earth. And so he, he is reigning on earth, not physically, um, but he has authority. He has dominion over the earth. No, who else would? No one, no one else does. Satan is bound in, in a sense uh, and limited on this earth as well. Right. And from Christ's ascension to, to Christ's resurrection to his second coming, that we're in the church age. Well, actually, so that was the, but for, that everything about tribulation in Revelation, like all the famine and wars and the um, the dragon and and, and the, the the woman and the, the the Babylon and the harlot and all that, uh, it happened at 70 A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem. Right. So Rome destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. under the well, this kind of started under the rule of Caesar Nero. Uh, and Caesar Nero is considered to be the beast of Revelation. So he is the beast and he destroys it's Jerusalem. In the post-mill view? Is that what you're talking about? Is the yeah. post-mill okay. view. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that is who it's talking about because the 666 is like the numerology for, uh, was it Julian Nero Kaiser? Yeah, Nero Kaiser. And depending Nero if you spell Kaysar. it with a certain, so the where it gets tricky is the six one six versus six six six. But both of those can only be translated using the gematria to be Nero Caesar. Like he's the only name that matches both of those. The six six six. Yeah. And this so, would have been somewhat when 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 John was writing this, this would have been something that his audience would have understood. Right. That they're very familiar with the numerology, with letters and numbers and everything, with the Hebrew language and stuff. And so they would they would have been very they would have known exactly what he was talking about. So that, that's kind of an important point that gets glossed over is that he wrote it in, intending for them to figure out what he was saying. Like he didn't write yeah. it intending for them not to for 2000 years. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of, I mean, how it starts off, like in revelation, it says these things are coming soon. Right. The time is that's at him. hand. I am partners, right. with, partners you, with you. Tribulation. Yeah. So like he, he talks as if it's already going on. And for me, that was something I never really picked up. I had right. always thought revelation was futuristic mm. as opposed to really reading it and understanding that he's saying like, these things are at hand. And if you look up the Greek for at hand, it means like now, like right. say, within grasp, let's oh, right within here. grasp. Right. right. Yeah. So one comment already, uh, John Myers, he says, I'm post mill. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on revelation 11, the two witnesses. This is one, my family members object to my position. So Solomon, do you have like an idea? Uh, what do you think about yeah, the two witnesses? See. So like, um, I'll give you mine, but I want to know what you could think about it. I don't know if we're on the same page on that one. So I think they represent, uh, the prophets right mm-hmm. so you have the law and the prophets of the old testament and i think the two witnesses as far as i understand post view is they are representative of the prophets elijah and 
um, Isaiah, you know, just all the prophets, you know, because right. the Old Testament is basically the law and the prophets and, you know, the um, amount of transfiguration you saw Moses and Elijah. So, right. and, and, and Jesus, and then the, then the transfiguration, and then all you see is Jesus because the prophets and the law are, are in Jesus. So he is like the embodiment of the Old Testament, what it was pointing to and everything. Right. So I think that's kind of like summarizing that up. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I for the two it, witnesses. Maybe a step further, I take it a, like a, a little bit further. I would say law and prophets because the, they, they call yeah. down plagues and they call down fire and shut up the heavens. So, so they, both they're of Moses and Elijah. Like that's yeah. what they are. They're the law and the prophets. Yeah. So I take it a little bit further. And I would say that the two witnesses are kind of indicative of the church preaching repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since it seems like it's overcome by the beast, but then they're resurrected after three days. So even though it seemed like the, the Roman persecution was stomping out the church as the, the phrase goes, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Like yeah. it, it just comes back stronger. So the church preaching repentance through the law and the prophets, what the, you know, the scriptures, uh, that's where I would take the two witnesses to be. In. Yeah. So you say the two witnesses is pertaining to the church, the first century church, whole. that church was being persecuted under as Roman. The yeah. first century. Right. They're the, they're the, and I, and I, here's where I, I always kind of, flip-flop between on-mill and post-mill a little bit because i would say that it continues on and that we're still preaching repentance to the nations like the law and the prophets do like that's what we're supposed to be doing is preaching repentance ongoing um which is why the world is opposed to us because we preach repentance um but i think in this in this instance in this book it's referring to that first century church the one that was seemingly killed but resurrected like i think that applies to them not so much us yeah so so would you guys say that coronavirus coronavirus is like in time <laughs> yeah i mean if it was i like, wouldn't be doing this just blunt you know what i mean just yeah it's like in times watch out i mean i don't think you, you could think that in you know in a world that's seen the bubonic plague and the spanish right. flu and and plenty of other worse pestilence and and right. uh epidemics and pandemics the world has experienced so no like that's not like <laughs> well, if, if, if it was going to be one it would be less bad than those. That doesn't make any sense. Like if this is going to be the plague to end all plagues and the end times pestilence or whatever, it's going to be less, it's not, it's not going to be as bad as the bubonic plague, which killed like half the population. Like that, that doesn't make any sense that it would be this, this, right. and, I'm, and I'm trying to downplay Corona because it is terrible, but historically relatively it's not. So right. it's just not. So and historically there's been an epidemic almost every single century. I mean, it's, this yeah. is a new thing. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think, see, and this is where like a, like a, this is how a post mill views Corona. Thank God for modern medicine. Right. Thank God for the advancements of technology and modern medicine and things we have uh, that measures that we can take. So it doesn't become the Spanish flu. So it mm-hmm. doesn't become what we've experienced in history. So post-millennialism sees the, the church age as like where we are now from Christ's resurrection to uh, his return as as the church age and how we're go we're, we're growing things are going to steadily get better and that's where right. people drop off that's where people say, <laughs> that's where they're out no i'm out yeah but if you if you look at history and look at the past and, and realize how brutal it was it, it's just how, how brutal because the world's still brutal now but how openly and accepted the brutality was and murder and things were like they're just they were it was just the way you do it. There was no other idea. It was just, you're a, we're the conquering nation. So we come in and rape and kill and slaughter and that's good. And that's what we do. And it was just not, it wasn't even thought of as bad by the people it was being done to. They didn't want it, but that was just like how things were. I mean, even right. into like 
the eight, you know, 19th century with the wild west and stuff, people shooting each other in the streets and, and, you know, like right. it's, we look at today and think it's terrible. The, the world, this is the world, you know, have you ever been asked like, what decade would you ever rather live in right now? Yeah. I'd love to this live one. right now. <laughs> I would not live, want to live in any other decade besides right now, because just like the, the advancements of technology and advancements of, of um, society and civilization and stuff. And, and that's where it, the post mill has an optimistic view of the future. Mm. Whereas a lot of the other views have a pessimistic view it especially when it comes to christianity that the church will shrink that the church will constantly be be facing nothing but opposition and suffering and oppression and i i don't believe that to be the case i don't think the church will shrink i think it will grow and uh, abby said before that the world the entire world will become christianized now one thing that does not mean is universalism which means everyone in the world will be a christian i don't believe that but post mill people don't believe universalism right every will come a day when everyone is a christian that's not the case so but and by christianization of the world that doesn't mean like a theocracy necessarily either so it just means that the christian worldview will permeate and infect culture politics history education fam like everything like every aspect of human life on the world will be will be around christian a christian worldview and I mean, so, to an extent, it, it already has in some way, it's this slightly regression at this, like, it's a backlash because you don't get America, you don't get democracy, you don't get republics like we have. You don't get a bill of rights without a Christian worldview. Like that right. doesn't come from a secular worldview. That doesn't exist. Yeah. And that that's one of the things, Abby, like, because I know that's something that, what, what would you say to that, Abby, just so far as like what we're talking about, like the Christianization of the world. Just when you hear that, what do you think? Before before we do that, uh, Brianna, real quick, our friend Brianna Baldoff has a comment. Uh, do you think that it's control exerted through Corona, not exactly the plague itself? So in other words, um, is the real problem the government overreach and control that this plague allowed them to take? Yeah. Per- personally, I think that's that's a one way that I would have looked at it before. But now knowing that God is sovereign and God Mm -hmm. is in control, I look at it as something that God is doing instead of something that the government's doing. Like God's not going to allow anything to happen, whether it's the government, whether it's the Illuminati, whether it's the New World Order, whether it's Mm -hmm. whatever you're looking at, God's allowing that to happen. So I don't know. I mean, I I think for me, I would have definitely been like, well, the government's doing this. We're going towards the New World Order. We're going towards, um, you know, all governments going into one, taking control instead of looking at what is God doing in his sovereignty for Mm -hmm. me? I don't know. That's just how I was. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Corona, like it's, you know, what I forget who said it, but like politicians say, don't ever waste a good crisis, you know? So I think we, we, we think that they're controlling these things and creating panic, but I think they're using panic Mm -hmm. to institute more control of people. You know, we, we see those things happen like in calling it yours for your safety, you know? So I don't think they created COVID-19. I don't think they created this disease, but it happened and it is happening. And I think they're just going to take advantage of it and say like, okay, well, here's all these new controls. Here's the Corona bill. Here's the Corona act. And we're going to ban travel or we're going to, I don't know, like we're going to do something where it's like, we're going to, we can't, can't, we can't, no crowds, you know, maximum capacities are going to shrink or something. I don't know, which, whatever it is, like they're going to do some kind of act like that um, in a way that help get, gives them more control over the people. But right. that's and just, you know, 
That always I, happens. I was saying, and I think that's the real problem. The rea- the reaction to Corona, what we're seeing is, is the problem with it is that it's an atheistic reaction. It's the kind of reaction you have when you don't have an idea of a God who's in control of things. It's just a, a fear. We don't want to die. We need to get this under control. We, what do we need to do to stop this? Like it's a, it's an atheistic reaction. A, a solid post-millennial Christian worldview would not react to this virus this way. I don't believe. Even, so, even, even yeah. an all-male church view though, wouldn't react to the virus in this, in this spirit of fear. Right. I mean, because, and, because if you're a part of the church in an all-male mindset is that like no matter what happens no evil no gate to hell nothing will prevail against the church and it's being built into exactly what christ wants it built into so it's like no you know what i mean so i I would say for both posts and amil right so the panic is really atheistic and i don't know if premillennialism is panicking but it's more like this is always this panicking. Is this is the well, that's, their, that's their mo. It's always like that. Premillennials, where you get like the so this guy named Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet mm. Earth. And I think I have where, that in like what is it the sixties or fifties or something? Or yeah, maybe it was, 70s, I think it was the seventies. Yeah, seventies. So he wrote this book, and that became that became the premill like guidebook, and it was it was all about this is the beast and and yep. this is the antichrist, and it was just it was not scholarly work. It was not biblical interpretation, good hermeneutic. It was, it was just like, well, look at this and look at what's happening in the newspaper. That looks <laughs> the same, doesn't it? And like the kingdom of the North, that's Russia. It's like, what? Okay. Like, can you explain how? Nope. Just, I said it and it looks good. And so we just run with it. And it's just, it's the, it's the epitome of interpreting scripture with your modern newspaper. It's, right. it's seeing things and saying, oh, well, this, that's what this would look like. And so here it is, you know, right. trying to put and ourselves like, in that history and that prophecy. The, you know, the second coming of, of how, I mean, kind of the second coming of Hal Lindsey is John Hagee, but the, the popular Christian second coming of Hal Lindsey is Tim LaHaye and, and Jerry Jenkins left behind. Yeah. That was the, like, yeah. this is what's happening. And yeah. I mean, I didn't know a Christian in the nineties that wasn't reading left behind. Yeah. Like, and this everybody's is also, and this is also where uh, the, pro-israel stuff comes from and this gets more political as far as like we have to back israel because they're god's real chosen people mm. and you know they're, they're building the temple that's right gonna usher in the end time that's where yeah. jesus is gonna, gonna rule that's... from he's got to be in that right so they're like the seal team six of like the christian armageddon so let's let's jump in that real quick because brianna uh i don't know if she was being facetious or real but she said and america is babylon uh Okay. So do, do we want to talk about who Babylon is in Revelation or who we think Babylon is in Revelation? Sure. There you okay. have, we're talking about Jerusalem and Israel right? Uh, because that's who Babylon in Revelation is. Right. Babylon in Revelation is Jerusalem, is the Jews that rejected Christ, right. is the right. whore, is the, inf- the unfaithful uh, and, con- and continuously, over and over and over right. again, they were called the whore in the Bible. Right. Yeah. Out numerous books in the Bible. The yeah. horror of Babylon. I mean, and like the 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 capstone, the 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 moment that ended it was at the well post pre crucifixion when he's at the trial, and they and uh, Pilate says to him, "Would you have me crucify your king?" And they say, "We have no king but Caesar." Like the the most blatant rejection of the Messiah you can yeah, possibly the, have. The Jewish people say, "We have no king but right. Caesar." Yeah, right. And that's and that, it. that's and, just a in, yeah. unfaithful. I mean. That, that is like your wife saying, oh, I have no man but this person. Whatever. Right. It's like, what? <laughs> and so <laughs> that's so Babylon in Revelation, the, the whore of Babylon, the harlot, uh, is 
Jerusalem in first century is is uh, that in 70 AD Jerusalem. Mm. And, that's and out of destroyed. yeah, and out of all the words that Jesus speaks on the way to the cross, he mm. says one thing, and it's Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Do not weep mm. for me, but weep for what i think it's yourself and yourself yeah. your children right. and your children like he's he's saying like do not weep for me like weep for yourself and what's about to come on you for what you've done to me and the judgment that's about to come upon you from what from zachariah and on right yeah. everybody and i yeah. think that's something that i've never really noticed before well i mean it's not the christian worldview you're supposed to have in america you're supposed to be pro-israel you can't get elected president by christians if you're not pro-israel like you have to yeah. be pro-israel that's how this works right but I, I mean, yeah. it's if you draw it out, there's she's riding on the the beast, which you know is Rome. She's drunk on the blood of the saints. Who was drunk on the blood of the saints? The Sanhedrin, the yeah. the Pharisees, and Sadducees. Paul before the he became Saul. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's I mean, yeah. it's it's weird how what what I really want to know is why. I mean, I guess because the Schofield Bible is so popular, why this was just embraced by like a whole country like overnight. It was just like, oh, this is true. So this is what it is. Yeah. I really think it yeah. also includes the Left Behind series. Like, I think, oh yeah, I think even even if like I didn't read yeah. it, but I and I didn't ever really believe in the Rapture, but I definitely <laughs> believed in like a futuristic view of Revelation. Oh, I was full on. Like, I was waiting for it. I was there like, was this a is Left happen. Behind. There was a Left Behind video game. <laughs> yeah. It, I, and and it, it but it, but it lends itself perfectly to that kind of pop culture media stuff of like if you well, read Revelation literally, it's a sci-fi. Crazy yes you thing. know so, so true story uh i was watching uh avengers uh infinity war with a dispensational person and that part at the end after the snap when like helicopters are crashing and cars are wrecking because nobody's in them and drivers are just gone they mm -hmm. were like oh that's what the rapture is going to be like and i'm like yes that is a sci-fi concept it's exactly <laughs> like that yeah i mean it, yeah it does it does make for 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 good science fiction but it's just not, uh, it's interpreting the Bible with your newspaper and with the, the evening news. I mean, that's what it is. People see these things. I think that has a lot, had a lot to do with it too, with the growth of media like that, where people didn't know how bad the world was, mm. you know, before. And so all of a sudden you can see it with newspapers and television and media and radio. And you're like, man, this is happening every single day. It's like, well, it kind of always was. You just weren't aware of it, right. you know? It's like people seeing Vietnam as the first televised war. Mm. And it's like, Vietnam is a horrible thing. It's like, I think World War II was great like that you shouldn't see it <laughs> and that you know so there is something to the exposure of of things that go on around us that lead people to think things are getting worse right and it really kind of always been this way and worse in the past and getting better in the future you know we see the same terrible news story 10 times and so that that just puts us in our head of things are getting worse all the time there's never a second where it's not bad and part of that is the way news works too like uh, we think of news as like giving us info but it's also they're trying to get ratings and the, the thing that grabs ratings is a sensational story so yeah, if they right. tell you like don't panic the the virus is bad but we're going to be okay well you're not going to watch that you're but if they tell you the death toll is climbing we could get worse we only have two weeks to live like then you're like oh i gotta watch i gotta know what to do so yeah. sensationalism yellow journal even and even with like things as earthquakes, I've seen so many posts about, oh, there's an earthquake in Idaho, there's mm -hmm. an earthquake here, end times are coming. But when I like started, I started looking at it and like the number of earthquakes per year, like we are less than 2018, 2016, <laughs> 2014, 2011, 2010, 2009, 2008, 2007, 2006, 2005, 2000. It just gets less yeah, and less every time. Yeah. Well, I'm saying like we're less than all of those years. Like, so when people yeah. say like earthquakes, pestilence, locusts are coming, like when we're looking at like pestilence, earthquakes, like these things have been about 
yeah. which is one reason right. why I think tribulation is ongoing. Yeah. But and, I do agree with you, Solomon, when tribulation was like tri- when you say tri- yeah, tribulation, it's like there's hard times. Well, everybody's yeah. going to experience hard times in their life, or or every generation is going to have its version of hard times, you know. And I'm, I'm not saying that like you know, look at the death rate or something, or like people are dying less or, or whatever. It's not necessarily about that. So when I say the Christianization of the world in, in the optimistic view post of post millennialism, I don't. It, it, I had this idea, and I don't, I'm sure I'm not the first person to think of it this way, but it's things that only make sense in a Christian worldview are being promoted and valued more and elevated. Now they're being twisted and perverted things like peace, love, harmony, uh, justice, compassion, these things, freedom, these things are being valued more and more throughout world history. Uh, they're not entire, they're not done exactly to the glory of God specifically, but they're being done. And it's right. kind of like that by false motives or true, you know, right, right. and, and these things only make sense in a Christian worldview. And I think that's something a lot of Christians don't believe either. They, there is this neutral ground. There is this neutrality of like, well, there's just kindness. And then there's like, well, there's not, not if we're stardust, like who cares, <laughs> you know, like people will grow morally indignant and, and start promoting things like justice and uh, peace and compassion and, and, and unity and community and these things that, if we're stardust, it, what are you talking about? None of these things mean anything in, in, uh, if we're all just matter in motion swirling through the cosmos on a pale blue dot, like none of these things matter if we're just this insignificant evolved societies of bacteria. Right. So then that's what they're, they're saying. People say we, we are the naturalistic view says that we are, but no one lives that way. They actually live it as Christians do, you know, Jeff mm-hmm. Durbin says this all the time of like, why are you talking like a Christian? Why are you acting like, you know, people mean something? You know, we, we understand that because we believe that people are created in the image of God and, and born with a certain amount of inherent value, right, of, of their life. And that doesn't make sense in, in a world without God. So, but there, people, act like, people act that way. And, so, and politics go, goes that way too. And the world and culture and everything else goes that way. It's perverted and twisted. and needs to be course corrected. But at least they're saying freedom. At least they're saying peace. At least they're saying when thousands of years ago, that would have been what are you talking about? Might makes right. <laughs> you know, you're the stronger survives. That's a more naturalist Darwinist view is I kill you, then I win. And that's what life is. That's the good thing is that I just kill you and take over because I could, I was stronger and that's how it goes. I mean, that's, that's a Darwinist royalty, view. Right? Yeah. That's like, a Darwinist that's view comes from. that we're getting away from that. Hmm. So, so another comment, uh, how have so many prominent pastors gotten it wrong? Which is a good question because there's guys that we would uh, respect and listen to that we think are solid, like MacArthur, or like Piper, who we would disagree with eschatologically, or even like a James White, you know, who we would yeah. all say is like, you know, levels beyond where I may ever be on a lot of stuff. But on this one, we think they're off. So what? why? I, I think be- a lot of it is because they never find the time and place to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do a little plug, but it that that's just it. It's the was the last time you had like a deep discussion about this in church. I can't remember right. one, and and that and, and that's not. I understand why. Like it's difficult things and weird stuff to figure out, you know. But I, it's because we don't do studies like the, of this stuff in our church. So people just kind of go with what the popular mainstream thing is, and so it's not somebody getting it wrong. It's just someone not even looking into it so they just accept whatever it's like well these men are christians and this is what people say so i just go with it and then that becomes your interpretation 
Piper is a funny one too because he he digs um, John Edwards. Edwards and yeah. Edwards was Big post you know, famously post millennialist. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, he has qualms with that. I think a big part of it too is the fact that the public school system, which is kind of what we talked about last week. Like when I was taught history, I was taught nothing about 70 AD. I had no idea mm. that over a million Jews were slaughtered. I have no idea that all the Jews went to Passover and that's when Rome packed. Like I had no idea of the fact of judgment that would be bestowed on them and, you know, and redemption at the same time. Like Jesus came to redeem, he came to save, but at the same time he came to judge. And I had mm. no clue about, the fact that he came to judge mm. i was only clued in on the cross not on the judgment of what he would bring well i mean we have an ahistorical worldview too like in modern america we don't see things in terms of how history is played out we see now and like maybe 40 years back and that's it we don't see through all of like i was reading uh the man comes around the doug wilson's commentary and yeah. he frequently when he would make a point he would reference back to like the histories he would talk about how josephus described this thing that was going on yeah. and it was like whoa that was blowing my mind like i did not know this was going on like he talks about when uh jerusalem was besieged and they shut the city like there was factions in there they were fighting they weren't just fighting rome they were fighting each other like it was bedlam in the city yeah, they were eating they were eating their own kids like deuteronomy yeah. 28 curses brought to life right. in 70 a.d yeah. But I mean, that's another thing too. We have, we don't have a old Testament context either. Like right. we don't need to, that's old. That's pre Jesus. We don't need to worry about that. That's the Andy Stanley thing. We need to unhitch the old Testament from the gospel. Yeah. And that's how you end up where you are now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, Brianna had a, a good comment here. She said, I think it's because our education system prior to two thousands gave us a narcissistic and faultless view of ourselves and country. We were taught mm. we were the best and could do no wrong. So we read the Bible with that lens that it was all about us. That's, that's very true. Everybody wants to put themselves in the Bible, right? Yes. We read a story like, that's What does me. this mean to me? Yeah. Right. yeah. And I love, you know, Matt Chandler's famous thing. You're not David, <laughs> you know, like you're David. But it's true. You can, and you can fight your Goliaths. It's like, that's no, <laughs> that's not. He says, you know, you're not David. You're the cowardly Israelite behind him that wouldn't step up. <laughs> that's you. <laughs> as far as you, you want to relate yourself to a biblical character, that's right. who you are. You know, well, Nate in Wilson need, talks need about that. David. Nate Wilson mentions how like we're all we all want to play the hero, but we're we're not necessarily. Like, he, he says, don't you think Goliath cast himself as the hero in his own narrative? Yeah. And like he was the villain in the narrative. Like we need to stop reading ourselves into the hero role of every biblical story. Like we're not the, you we're personally, not the heroes. right. Yeah, right. Exactly. We're the, we're the ones that needed to be rescued. Right. At, at and, no and that's, of, and that's the same throughout every book that you look at, whether it's from Genesis to revelation is that mm. we are not the heroes. Christ is the hero. He is the conqueror. He is the redeemer. He's the mm. king. He yeah. will win. And I think that's whether you're predispensational, whether you're all mill, mm. whether you're post mill, like that's the one thing we need to get out of revelation. In my opinion, is the fact that, god wins like mm. god wins and that's what we should be focusing more i would agree but also disagree a little bit okay. um in the sense that the the premillennial dispensational view thinks that god wins and you have no role in that yeah so yeah. you you are sitting back and waiting to be rescued yeah yeah you're not actually helping to advance the kingdom in any way and i think that's I, that's I the biggest flaw in that eschatology is the the apathy and inaction that it breeds in yeah. um christians in modern america it's the idea that the gospel will fail in history right and not that the gospel will succeed in history 
and I think and it that, will succeed the for the church. Well, yeah, I mean, like as far as uh, more people becoming Christians, or like, like the church. Yeah, will what grow. does that mean? I believe that too. The church like will the gospel, grow. The gospel will succeed for the church for those that are his sheep, but the word is folly to those that are perishing. The gospel will not. I mean, you know what I mean. The gospel mm-hmm. is not gonna, is going to be gibberish and nonsense to those that are perishing. <laughs> My friend said, uh, Eric said, obviously God is Charlie Sheen winning. <laughs> i wish y'all could beat eric because eric is a card eric, He's a character that's pretty oh awesome. maybe eric and i used to be related my maiden name's hernandez <laughs> i'd be oh, shocked yeah. if you're related to eric you're related to half of san antonio <laughs> half, half of the world <laughs> yeah. oh man so okay let's i mean let's get into it a little bit because we we're talking we we're texting all three of us were texting about this last night and we we're like well, we're gonna get into tomorrow we'll get into tomorrow so yeah. we all agree we're not premillennial dispensational but we don't agree where exactly we land and i think we agree on a lot of points but we disagree on some points too so why in your opinion abby is the post-millennial eschatology off like what's where are we missing it where are we not getting yeah i just think that okay so post-mill where they see a christianized world like Mm -hmm. for me i think that the main focus and is what christ is building his church he's glorifying perfecting it he's building this thing that's going to be glorified in the end as Mm -hmm. opposed to like the whole entire world being christianized because there's so many verses about unbelievers that are that will be deceived the word is folly to those that aren't believing there will be a judgment where people will be judged right um you know narrow is the path Solomon. Yeah. Hold on. We'll go to Zechariah in a minute. (laughs) So, I mean, I think when Zechariah, when I think he says that no one will have to teach, that's going to be when we're in our final rest. Like when we're in heaven, when we're in restoration, when no one's going to have to teach each other, we're all going to be in the presence of God. No one's going to have to teach anyone. We've talked about this before a long time ago. I don't know if you remember me and you talking about this because you asked me about it. Uh, Because the context in Zechariah is the new covenant. Yeah, the, the law will be written on their hearts and their right. minds. It's not, not, okay, not, it's not on stone, talking about the final not on stone tablets. Yeah. Right. So that's okay, the, they don't need to be give taught. Me the, give me the verse again. Let me go look Okay, let me, let me actually get it for you. It's like the last chapter of Zechariah. Because okay. um, I remember you asked me about that, and it was one that I was like, huh, that is an interesting thought that I had, and a very post-mill thought, is the idea that in the New Covenant, we reach this point where no man teaches his brother because everybody knows the Lord. Yeah, uh, but... Is it not like the, the final, like, okay. Cause I see, okay. Maybe, maybe this is where we differ. I see the new covenant as Christ sacrifice, like, but there are also still things coming in the new covenant that we have to look forward to as a hope. Right. I agree with you. I I think the difference is that we see those things actually coming to pass on earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I see it more as like once the church is resurrected, once we have final glorification then we can dwell physically in the new heavens and the new earth with god that was a big one coming to the earth i see it coming yeah we're seeing a restored earth like here like the the idea that eden was supposed to go out into the whole earth and it didn't but it will so so do you think that the earth is going to be restored everything is going to be christianized not everything but most is going to be christianized and then he's going to destroy everything with fire no 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 rebuild No, I'm we're, I'm talking like everything is gradually Christianized. It's First Corinthians 15. Uh, he must reign until all his enemies are placed under his feet. Then yeah. comes the end when uh, the final enemy is defeated, his death. Then he hands over the kingdom to the Father, so that God may be all and in all. 
Like, yeah, but you missed the-, the whole part about, okay, first we're resurrected, right. and then he defeats all the authorities, all the powers, and then he hands it over to God. So at the very end, he defeats all authorities, all the powers. No, no, no. We're, 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 we're resurrected after. Because right. yeah. the yes, last, hold on, hold that, on. That's the last enemy. If the last enemy is death, the resurrection yeah. is the last thing. Yes, the, so, the, the resurrection of, the, of, of us is the last the enemy to be defeated, death, the last enemy. Then he will hand the kingdom to God. So that's, uh, that's okay. the big thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 25. For he must reign, but he must reign until he has. Okay, twenty-three. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule, and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, and this is in the context of the bodily resurrection of the saints. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who, uh, he is accepted, yeah, Jesus is not all, part of that all, who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So he kind of gives a little a, timeline here. And just a side note, that totally defeats oneness theology. The fact that he says, <laughs> then the Son himself will also be subject, subjected to him. Right, like, man. If I see that. another post from Marcus Rogers, I'm gonna lose it. Is he is he very oneness? Oh, big time. He did. He's had like two at least one debate for sure, and two response videos defending oneness uh, theology. So definitely. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know how that would be possible if he's gonna put Christ subjected to God. So I mean, that's kind of how we see that thing. If if he must reign until all his enemies are placed under his feet, and the last enemy to be defeated is death then what follows is that all the other enemies are defeated before death is. Yeah. Okay. You know what you follow? Yeah. I see what you're saying. So like in, in, I I guess that's the difference where it's like, you're seeing it as at the end, all the enemies are defeated in the final judgment. And it's like, well, no, I'm saying up to that point, all the enemies are being progressively defeated. The last one is death. That's the resurrection. That's the consummation of all things. That's the renewed heaven and earth. Yeah, I can agree with that, but I think I think what I'm saying is like all things are subjected under him until death, right? Like everything is subjected under Christ. Okay, so with the cross, it was sin, right? He defeated sin. Right. Then he defeated Satan as right. opposed to the Christians, defeated Right. Him. But yeah. at the end, like he will defeat all the powers and authorities that come against him. Mm-hmm. What, so why why is all of that at the end and not progressively like we're saying that i think that's where i'm not quite I, I, getting like it. yeah and and i don't disagree with you i think that it could progressively happen but i just think that it's in in context of to the church instead of to the world like this world's perishing but then, this world's see, gonna be a fire the see then they're thing, not they're not the actually thing, defeated right but the only thing what does it say uh it's at ephesians or corinthians when it says the only thing that we can build are the things set on christ anything that we build other than that will be destroyed in fire right like there's only a certain amount of things that we can build and that's another thing too is that we're i know ernie's going to disagree with me on this but like we're <laughs> we're being we're being sanctified by the spirit continuously right right, so right. physically physically we cannot dwell with god because we are not 
perfect like Christ, right? We don't have the perfected body. We, we are not sinless and not until resurrection. Mm-hmm. Y'all agree with that? Mm, I was thinking about this today and I don't know um, if the perfected body is the problem. I don't know. I, I was thinking about it today and I, I don't know. Cause I was thinking about people who have been in the presence of God that were not in the perfected body. And obviously it wasn't for an extended period of time, but I mean, the, the problem when Isaiah was in the presence of God was his sin, not his body. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. But what, what does his body do? Sin. Right. But that's okay. So the, the way reason I was like, I don't know, maybe yes, no. Um, the problem with Isaiah being in the presence of God that he says was his sin, not his body. So the angel touches the coal to his lips and says, your sins are forgiven. So it's like, okay, that problem's taken care of, right? but he wasn't like glorified. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm off, but that's kind of a, I don't know. I thought I had today or Moses on the mountaintop for 40, 40 days and nights. Like he wasn't perfected. He was still there, but he was with God, you know? Right. I don't but, know. I, just, I thought I had. Yeah. I, 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 so, I mean, if you're saying they're defeated for the church, then I don't see them as actually being defeated. Like if we say, well, in the church, promiscuity is no longer a thing at that point. Cause we're perfected. It's like, okay, but it's still a thing on the earth. So it hasn't actually been defeated. We just don't do it. See, and I think that's where we see differently is because you guys see it as the world continually being Christianized and getting better. And I see it as, the church continually being built up into a final glorification, final resurrection. Like instead of the world being Christianized, it's the church being built up. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, but the church will grow. I believe it's the same thing that the, the Christian church will grow and that there'll be more Christians. So yeah, it is the church by the power of the gospel will succeed in human history and the church will grow. So it's not, I don't understand like when this church is separated from the world. Um, the because the church, the church, the church, yeah, the, we're the, as the church, we're told not to be a part of the world. So, it's but, but we are, but, it does say, but does say we are in the world. We're, we are in not, the world, but we're not to be a part of the world. We're completely different. Like the world is destined to perish. Well, it says of the world. So like, it, so it doesn't say be done to be part of the world. It says we're going to be uh, in the world, but not of the world, meaning coming from the world. Meaning the things yeah. that we believe and that we are looking towards cannot come from the matter in the materialist, naturalist worldview a godless worldview so it has to it is from it is from christ from this that of not being me part of but of not from the world right we're from christ not from the world so it's not so we can be in the world but not from it right yeah but that but that also but i feel like post mill kind of links links them both together like you're of the world and from the world all to this christianized version and well, I mean, God, like, God created though God, we, we believe God created those did create the world and he has a dominion over this world, not just the church. That's a big thing too, is that I, people I think, believe he has dominion. What does it mean to have, that, that God has, that Christ has dominion and authority of the world? Yeah, that he has what is that, but what does that mean, authority though? over every single person, whether they are chosen, whether they like, elect, whether but, they believe or whether they do not. He has authority to dictate no matter what kind of human you are, he's dictating that bottom line. So, yeah, and I believe that. And that, that's what I'm saying is like, that's, but I, I would extend that to COVID-19. I would extend that to earthquakes. I would extend that to um, technology. I would extend that to anything that we have, anything that exists in the world, it belongs to Christ. And that's, that, and that's a big idea. Cause I don't, I think that's, like, it's this idea of four. It's like, there's no such thing as secular music or secular books. 
or secular, whatever. There is just art and culture and music and that, that glorifies man or glorifies God. So there's not, there's, again, it's this, the world is Satan's. No, it's not. Nothing, everything belongs to Christ and it will all be redeemed. And I think that's part of the Christian's job is to redeem these things mm-hmm. for Christ, for the church as we grow the church. That's what the kingdom means, I think. Right, as we grow the church. In the world. So it's like, (laughs) but you're wanting to like separate, like, well, that's worldly things. So we need to be separated from the worldly things. Yeah, we are completely separated from the world. But we need to take it back. We're taking back the world. We're not separated from the world. We're taking it back. No, we're not. The world is destroyed. It's burned up with fire. The end. It's it's, 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 It's created new. That's the thing. It's not... Just like it's not created just, new, right? Yes, and that's that's part of the, rede- the redeeming of the world, and the, the world will be redeemed and made new, not destroyed and forgotten, right? And so that's I, I, that's what I believe as far as the future and for heaven, for the new heaven and new earth. I think new earth means a redeemed earth. Well, who's we're doing the redeeming? Christ through the church with us by the power of the right. gospel. So I think that's the thing right. we're we're bringing this stuff over. You know, we're we're redeeming these things. So, right. yeah. So, uh, I'll, I'll be so right what back. about what okay. about the stars falling from the sky and the blood turning the moon <laughs> turning to blood because that's a big one too in, in like Judgment yeah time. Matthew yes. twenty four right good yeah. yeah um the the day of the Lord what about that because that that hasn't happened yet the stars haven't fallen from the sky have right. they right this apocalyptic language like what do you you know the coming of the Son of Man you know what, what about that there's no that hasn't happened yet right so how what, what would you say to that Julian so, I mean, that once again, that goes back to having a, not having a context of the Old Testament. Like the, the language that's used in Revelation is, and in Matthew, is Old Testament deconstruction language. Even yeah. the idea of seeing the Son of Man coming on the clouds, like that's not an idea that was new to them. So it's like, oh, we're going to see him come in the sky. It's like, no, this, that's an idea that comes from the Old Testament. It comes from Daniel. It comes from yeah. other passages of him writing on the clouds. Like that's an Old Testament idea. So, so yeah, I have that here. So uh, it's... One of the, uh, I have this book that kind of talks about that, the day of the Lord, you know? Um, right. So I have this book, kind of my cheat sheet. Oh see. man, did you finish that? Oh dude, long time ago. Dude, that is a thick book. Yeah, that dude. is dense. So this is He Shall Have Dominion, a post-millennial eschatology by Kenneth Gentry Jr. Um, this is like, this is kind of what made me post-mill and the Bible. <laughs> this explaining the bible but explaining the post mill view basically right. not the bible but explaining the post like what is post mill this is what it is like pointing to the bible but he's in this thing he talks about this one part he talks about uh the day of the lord um so the day of the lord appears frequently in scripture particularly in the old testament prophets isaiah 13 ezekiel 13 joel 1 joel 2 amos mm. 5 so mm. he talked about the quote unquote the day of the lord that phrase zephaniah obadiah it also appears in the New Testament, Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 2, Second uh, Peter, you know, Revelation, it just goes on. The concept can appear even apart from the full phrase, day of the Lord. Scripture calls it a day of punishment, a day of doom, a day of trouble, a day of darkness, a day of Lord's anger. And that's in Ezekiel, Zephaniah, um, Isaiah, uh, the day of doom, Jeremiah says, uh, day of trouble. So uh, our prophets may, or, or prophets may simply call it that day, as in Isaiah 2. The day of the Lord may be sometimes used by the prophets to refer to any specific period of time in which the God of Israel intervenes in human affairs to save and judge, and invariably the day of the Lord is associated with acts of violent judgment. 
This concept always appears in a singular form as an individual day. Nevertheless, the day of the Lord is not a one-time occurrence for, quote, there have been days of the Lord in the past. We see them coming against Babylon in Isaiah 13, mm. Egypt Ezekiel in Ezekiel 30, and Jerusalem in Joel 1, mm. um, and in Edom in, in Obadiah 8. And all those, all those references in the Old Testament, too, the destruction of Babylon, the destruction of, of Egypt, of Jerusalem, and Joel, all talk about the, the stars shall fall from the sky and the heavens shall roll back like a scroll and the son of man shall come in on, like, on a cloud. Did There's, Christ return on all those attacks and all those, it's on all those, on those times? No. So we're not talking about the second coming of Christ when we're talking about the apocalyptic earthquake, blood, moon, stars falling language that we see in Matthew and uh, Revelation. So there's one yeah. specific one that covers two of those things uh, in Malachi chapter four. Uh, it's also where they get the idea that Moses and Elijah are literally the two prophets in the end times mm. uh, where Malachi says that, uh, in cha chapter four, verse five, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Uh, that's referenced by Jesus as referring to John the Baptist. So this reference in Malachi mm. four to the day of the Lord, uh, if you read in Malachi three, I believe it talks about how, the Lord will come to his temple to proclaim judgment. When did the Lord come to his temple? When Jesus came to the temple and when he pronounced woes on the Pharisees, that's that chapter, Elijah, the, the prophet, discourse. right. Uh, Elijah is Elijah is John, the John, the Baptist coming before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Like that's specifically referenced by Jesus as that verse pertaining to that time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not, it's not unusual to see that that the day of the Lord starts falling, like you were saying, rolled back. All of that is over and over and over and over in the prophets, but we don't. Another side note, and this is one, maybe the main problem I have with uh, flat earth thinking is that that's another thing that flat earth thinking bridges. Like, well, how else would the stars fall from the sky if they're not fixed in a flat, in a hard dome? So they take that literal reading of that and use that to justify a flat earth perspective. Yeah. Here's, like these, here's, here's Isaiah 13, the judgment of Babylon, starting in verse 6. Wail for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction of, of the, from the Almighty it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. Uh, they will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation, destroy its sinners from it. Mm. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. So, that will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Mm. It's the destruction of Babylon, not in time. <laughs> no, th so did Jesus yeah. come then? Is did Jesus come here in, in Isaiah 13? No, this is what's called apocalyptic hyperbole. It's 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 it's, it's doomsday language that's used mm. when it's talking about the destruction of a nation. He, he's like Matthew saying, "I'm going to put your lights out, right. like y'all are going to be done, and y'all yeah. are lights out dead." Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's it's, it, and they understood that the the Jews at the time would have understood. John's audience from Revelation would have understood, and all of the discourse, they would have understood, what is he talking about? What city is being destroyed? What are you talking about? They wouldn't have understood it as the end of the world entirely, right? right. So, and that's exactly how he talks about uh, what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. Right. I so, mean, that's the question they asked yeah. him. When is the sign of these things, and what is the sign of your coming? Like, they understood the things that he had just said about the temple were the day of the Lord coming. So they asked him, well, said, when? What, and what he said, this generation shall not right. pass away until you see these things. Right. And so, Abby, what, what is generation? You, you have a lot of good, like, uh, 
knowledge of like generation right of the language there yeah generation especially in like any time used throughout the uh, throughout the bible is generation is 40 years like a generation is complete uh talked about in the, in the bible throughout as 40 years so yeah. the generation that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness or if you look at other times like as a generation to biblical times is the 40 years mm-hmm yeah. So, so that, so that, so that, that so when he used that language, he said this generation, they, they would have understood that like, he's talking about like this that, generation, yeah. not this generation, 2000 years later, <laughs> not that generation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, that's, op- that's, op- that's the answer all the time. It's like, well, yeah, this generation, the one that exists, this one right happening. now. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of gymnastics you have to do to fit the scripture into the dispensational worldview. Right. So yeah. something you touched on earlier, Abby, that's interesting because I don't think we think of this often. Uh, you mentioned that what stuck out to you that kind of tur- like clicked the light for you was the idea that when Jesus came, he brought uh, redemption, but also judgment. Right. But like, what, what did you find? What led you down that path? to be like, oh, it's both. Yeah, I, I feel like I was only taught about when Jesus came, he came to bring redemption, mm-hmm. but I never understood the judgment brought. I never understood that someone had to pay for crucifying Christ. Like someone paid for what was done to Christ. But I think I thought of it as always being like, we are the ones that are going to pay for it. Like we, you know what I mean? Like futuristic. I never understood that. Like I I never, never saw the scripture that said, we will take, Mm. we will take what's brought on us and our children. And our children. they They were welcoming of it. Like we, we crucify Christ. We crucify the King. It's us. Bring it on us and our kids. I never saw that in scripture. How crazy is that? Us and our children. Right. I never saw Like I would never, you know, as a mom, like that's kind of hard to think about like saying like, yeah, we hung Christ and you can blame our kids and us. You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a big statement. And it's those that, that understood the the gravity of that and like, oh my God, like, what did we do? Like this, this is mm-hmm. uh, like, and just take that, that uh, guilt, I guess is, right. yeah. But also just understand like there is, there's peace with Christ. And so when they come to Christ, that's, they had something to be sorry for, for sure. Like mm-hmm. then that, that's what was trying to be understood. I right. Think. And the end, of, and the end of the age, I always thought is like the end of the age being like when the end of the world is, right. but, but after reading it and like seeing that, I think there's even a verse that says, uh, we at the end of the age talking about how they're at the end of the age or in Hebrews, I think it talks about the end of the age being when the temple is destroyed. Like I never realized that the end of the age was then in 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, the old covenant was done away with. You know what I mean? Like there was a whole new covenant being brought into light when Christ was the focus instead of the law, the law, the law, or, yeah. you know what I mean? There so, was a whole new focus. This is kind of off top. I mean, not really off topic, it's on topic, but it's kind of personal to you. How much did, when you were in like the Torah observant idea, how right. much did that dispensational premillennial worldview play into that? Like how much did they hold Big each other? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because it was... Um, yeah, all of it. I think all of it was, was kind of leading up towards that, but whether you're tour observant, whether you're American gospel, mm. I think we're kind of all taught, like, I, I don't know. I just felt like we're kind of all taught that predispensational view. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just, you know, <laughs> it, it is hard to, to, to be a post-mill person, especially in the middle <laughs> 
pandemic <laughs> thinking yeah like hey guys things are going to get better and progressively <laughs> better <laughs> and and this is a slow that's another thing too people put like to put it in the context of uh well we're only here for a few thousand years right or like we're coming up on the end we could be coming up on the beginning I, people think that the church is in its maturity in its adult age i, mm. I think we're in our infancy we're still in our like toddler stage right we could be could, we could be here for another five six seven ten thousand years it we don't know i mean it could be it could go i don't know like it yeah it's crazy like just to think about the future of the world yeah it could be another ten thousand years before any before christ comes back if we think about it that way we're like man we're just getting started where, where could this go what could happen think about what's happened in two thousand years and you say no no, no the timeline is actually like ten thousand years it's like Oh my gosh. Like <laughs> what? You well, know, how many times like, have you heard someone say like, well, I think it's at least in our children's generation. Like that's for sure going to be the end. Well, and I think oh, a lot oh, of tour people, everybody thinks that a lot of tour observant videos taught, like we've done the 6,000 years, the 7,000 oh. years is going to be the time when Jesus comes back. This is the seventh year. This is the se- the Sabbath, you know, it all lines up. And I, mm-hmm. that's, that's where I was kind of with for a long time was like, Oh yeah, we're here. Like we're at the 7,000 year. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. Well, that's that weird. A day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. I'm like applying right. that where it doesn't go. Just taking things that fit and like, ah, it fits here. It works. Yeah. Right. So, going, I guess going forward, in the, the one of the things that kind of, I don't know if you saw this this week, but kind of stuck out was N.T. Wright wrote a uh, an article for Time, saying that the Bible doesn't have any answers for COVID nineteen, and it's not supposed to. Um, and I thought that was a really <laughs> disheartening thing to see because right now when the world is losing its mind and they have no security and they have no less than before when they're aware now that they have no security and they yeah. have no certainty and that death is imminent for all of us at some point, like there's no escaping it. Yeah. The church should have some answers. Yeah. And uh, for the most part, we don't. And it doesn't help when the answers from the church are like, well, this is just the beginning. Wait a couple of years. It's about to get way worse. Like that's yeah. not the answer. Well, we, so become, we, we, become, we become hopeful for World War III because yes. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is coming back. And that, that I think, was the, one of the biggest things about the Primo view that really like people, people talking about that, like, oh, well, yeah, that, that'd be bad. But, you know, it would mean Jesus coming back. <laughs> so bring on nuclear war. It's like, right? I can't think of anything right. more unchristian than mm. that. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Are you out of your mind? Like, how does that love your neighbor? How does that, you know, mm. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, just the idea that, but that's what this sort of view looks, does. And it's like, if you think the church is going to shrink, that's going to affect how you evangelize and how you right. share Christ, right? That's going to affect how you share the gospel. It's like, if you think my, you know, I can go to my college, my university or something, I'll go to school or something. And, and everyone at my, my uh, university can become a Christian. That's not universalism because it's not the whole world, but think about, could there be, could there be a revival uh, on mm. campus or something? And, and when people just start accepting Christ and sharing the, and, and hearing the gospel and, <clears throat> and it just explodes and, and something happens. And it, I think our automatic mindset with a premium view is, well, of course not. That's, you know, you might help, you know, be able to witness to one or two, but no way that would never happen. It's just this pessimistic view of what the gospel can do and, and the power of, 
of the Bible and, and just the gospel in the world. And, and so it's weird, like, what if you, what if you thought that could actually happen? Like, what if you thought everybody I work with could become a Christian? Well, I mean, That's another possible. consequence, another consequence of that is like the relationship evangelism kind of thing where it's like, well, I have to build a solid friendship with this person before they'll trust me enough to, for me to be able to preach the gospel to them. So well, and I think that's time, you know? Yeah. I think there is, there is something to building credibility because if, if you just come out, it, you know, the way Jeff Durbin kind of talks about it too, is like different speeds. You know, if you're, right. if you're talking to someone on the street and you have five seconds or on the bus or something, you're going to share the gospel a little bit differently than you would someone who is a close friend or family member that, right, right, you right. know, you're trying to. And I think there is something to building credibility because if you just come out and say some things, it's like, look, you know me, you know, I'm not, I don't want to hurt you. You know, I'm not trying to, right. I don't hate, you know, I don't hate you. You know what I mean? Right. You know who I am. We've, we've had dinner together. We know whatever. So you, you know me. So, and while I'm saying this, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to offend you. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to hurt you. You know, I have nothing best intentions, you know? So I think there is something to that building of credibility kind of right. thing to, to the, kind of be the, able to cash in on. The problem though, is that it becomes, I need to, be sure that I don't offend you in any way. So yeah. you, you spend 10 years putting in time with somebody in order to establish this friendship of, of like love and mutual respect and haven't actually shared the gospel because you're waiting for the right time to share the gospel because. Yeah. You know, well, it's that, it's that fake quote from uh, Francis of Assisi, right? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, be always, always be sharing the gospel and if necessary, use words. Right. No, faith comes by hearing. All right. You know, you want to, you know, you, you should be acting out the gospel, loving your neighbor, being compassionate, doing right. all these things, but you, you need to say it. You need to call people to repentance and, and right. uh, point out things in, in, in love. You know, it's like, right, right. I'm going to, I'm going to go push someone down. Well, that doesn't seem loving. <laughs> it's like, well, that doesn't seem loving. Yeah. But they're about to get hit by a bus. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's very loving. Right. You know, and that's how we have to see this of like, this is, this is going to be a hard truth, but most true things are, and we kind of yes. bristle against those things. But um, yeah, anyway, that's that. I think that like, that's how I view it. That, that's one of the reasons also I became, uh, I have a post mill view is just the optimism of it. And mm-hmm. that, that like helped me share the gospel so much because it was just like, wow, it could actually work. What? You know, and <laughs> this isn't pointless. Yeah. It's so, you know who Daryl Davis is? Um, he's the black guy yes, who, yes. who got like, oh, what, 200 plus something KKK members to turn in their robes. Right. You know, and you would think if you, if I just said that, there's this guy, this black guy, he, he knows some KKK members and he talks to them and creates relationships with them and they trust him and he loves them. And through love and compassion, they've given up their KKK robes. And it's like they, they've left this, this sinful idea of hate. You know, you think that's impossible. I think that's how we view the gospel a lot of times mm. of like, well, no way. Like, think about the person you would least think would become a Christian. It's like, no way. Every time we say that, we like denigrate the power of the gospel. And it's like, what you, Paul was killing Christians. <laughs> no, well, one, I mean, no one we don't even have to away. go that. We don't even have to go that far. When you think of the person that would least be a Christian, think of yourself. Like, mm-hmm. where were you before this happened? Why, if yeah. if you could be saved, anybody could be saved. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I guess kind of with all of that, where, what word or like idea of hope would you like to leave to somebody right now when things are looking pretty dire and we're all under house arrest, people are losing money, people are losing jobs. Like, what what hope do we have in the future and in the gospel? Who wants to go first? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll take it. 
Um, <laughs> I think I think for me, Revelation as a whole is about, like I've said, Jesus is conqueror. He wins. God wins. Like no matter coronavirus, no matter measles, no matter polio, no matter uh, earthquakes. I think there's. I looked up and I think there's been an earthquake. Uh, I mean, every single year, like numerous earthquakes every single year no matter what's going on is that Jesus is King. Like our, our lives now, everyone's dying. Everyone's going to die. Like we are all going to suffer death at one point in our life, but it's the, like when it says in the Bible and I can't remember what verses is focus on, focus on like eternal life, focus on the second, you know, are we all going to suffer the second death? Are we all not going to suffer the second death? Who is, who's not. Um, we're focused too much on now. Like mm. a vi- viruses mutate. That's what viruses do. So whether it's coronavirus, whether it's the measles, whether it's another virus, like there's going to be more viruses. There's going to be more problems. There's going to be more pestilence. There's going to be more earthquakes. There's going to be more locusts because we freaking live on the earth with a lot of locusts. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that, I think the main focus that we need to have is like, Christ has already won. We are going to be resurrected. We are going to be glorified. We are going to be with Christ in the long run. And what happens on earth is just a part of our life here. You know what I mean? It's part of learning. It's part of learning about, and also a part of being um, corrected, corrected by God at the same time. That's, that's my, that's my opinion, I guess. What about y'all? the thing I really struggled with in all of this is the kind of the fear um, that's still so pervasive. Like in the beginning, I, you know, when the, the first panicky stuff was coming in, I was getting panicky, but it's, it's dragged on to the point where it's like, well, we have to stay like this indefinitely. And it's like, really indefinitely. Right. And just seeing some Christians who are kind of okay with that. Like, yes, we have to stay here indefinitely. We can't let up on this. We, we don't know what could happen. And it's like, well, no, we do know what's going to happen. And that's that Jesus is going to conquer all his enemies. Like he's already won. And, and I think that these eschatologies give you that hope. Like the battle is won. What happens here may not be ideal for your life at this time. Like, the, I mean, this is obviously not an ideal situation, but the hope is in the finished work of Christ. Like not only in our personal life, but in time, in history, he has won. Death will be defeated. Disease will be defeated. This is a point in time, but it's not forever. Right. You know? So I, I think that's the thing that we need to focus on. Like this is, this is now, but this is not tomorrow. This is not the next day. We don't, we, we know how the story ends. And I think we lose sight of that a lot when we focus on those, not only present circumstances, but those other, the, the premillennial eschatology doesn't give you that idea of like, well, tomorrow there's a victory. Like, no, it, it's today and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And we have to get saved. Like, no, the victory's already won, you know? Uh, so I mean, I guess it's that there's the idea of, what we see at the present but understanding that the battle is already over it's been conquered we've won and just walking in that truth that that god does win period right. and what and what else can we walk in because i know for right. us like there's so many american families who the father is primarily focused on work because mm. he has to provide for his family but this time for us as a family it's definitely been able to slow things down you know what I mean? The dad's able to come into the home and figure out his role in the family because that's hard to figure out for, for, for a man in, in today's time is how, how am I the husband that provides and the husband who leads my family at the same time? Mm. And I think for us, that's been, that's been a big thing because my husband's been able to kind of sit back, not worry about constantly providing where do I go to work, go to work, go to work. But how do I 
implement myself into the family as well. And I don't know. That's just been something that's positive for us. It's like, this is a sanctifying event. It's I really (laughs) feel like it. I really do. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, it definitely, it's, it's weird. I was, you know, we we pray as a family every night. We're praying tonight. And I was talking about, cause I could do my entire job from home. So I haven't missed a step. And in fact, we're in fourth quarter of our fiscal year, which is always the busiest, craziest quarter. So we're, we're in the, you know, come to the middle of that. And I thought it might slow down because the economy is coming to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's just <laughs> business mm-hmm. as usual, crazy, stressful. But at the same time, I'm doing it with at home with uh, three screaming toddlers and, <laughs> you know, trying to figure that out of like, right. you know, our house ain't that big. So it's like, I'm right in the middle. I'm not in some bedroom that I'm just closed off. I'm like right in the middle of the kitchen in the, you know, the middle of the house. Mm-hmm. So that it's like, I have my, my, my job, my work job makes me money. I have my job as a father and husband in the home. And then I have, you know, this, and then I'm also an intern with my church. So it's like, I have all these jobs that I do and I'm doing them like all at the same time. <laughs> and they're all like, I used to be able to just like go to work and that like, that's there, that's at the office. And then right. I come home, take out my headphones and step inside. And now I'm in the, you know, present with my family, you know, but it's like, I got to be present with all my jobs at the same time. It's become really stressful and really difficult to, to work through. But, um, cause at the same time, I'm texting you guys, we're figuring stuff out for this, right. you know, we're trying to study for this at the same time and then stuff for my, my, my work at the church and stuff. So, so it's like video conferences every evening and stuff. And it's just very difficult, but, um, I was, you know, we we're praying and I was like, you know, it's very difficult very you know but i need to be grateful because i know a lot of people are out of work and mm. just lost their same situations as me with family right. but in the lost their job mm. it's like <laughs> deal with that and guess what you can't go get another one because everything's insane right now so yeah it's so I, I was like you know if that happened if that were to happen i'd be depending on you but even at this time where work is stressful and, and becoming too much i'm dependent on you so either way i'm depending on god to get me through this stressful overwork time. And I would also be, be depending on God with, if I was out of work. So it's like, okay, no matter what I'm doing, I'm depending on God. It's, it's uh, having to lean on him. So that, I think that's something to look at too, is like while we're in this time, whichever one of those situ- sort of situations, you know, you're kind of leaning towards, you're still depending on God. And mm-hmm. this is a reminder that you always were depending on God. It's not like, oh, Corona, Corona's here. Now we got to depend on God. This was every day. This is just a reminder of where your mind and heart should have been every day of this resting in in the peace of God. And, and because look like, just like that, it can be gone just like that. Anything you're you're putting your hope in your job, anything that that is like that is just gone with a little microscopic. Yeah. Like you, you think, you think toilet papers are right. Like that's a blessing. Like, and I mean, I mean, seriously though, like we think as Americans, we think like I have the right to toilet paper. Like I have the right to paper towels. I have the right to food. Like, no, you don't. Like there's third country, third world countries that don't have a right to any of it. And that suffer continuously only living on the hope that God provides. And like we as a country are so Spoiled. spoiled yeah. yeah we're so spoiled entitled but, yeah, yeah. Mm. what, what yeah. about you this Julian? is this and worse is every is every day's re, people's everyday real life in other countries in, right. in a lot of part of the world this is yeah. like what are y'all talking about we don't have electricity like what you don't have what's 12 day like what yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and i think you know this is a little bit off eschatology it's more to reform doctrine but the idea that you know this situation that god is using is for his own glory be it yeah. through 
you know, punishment, be it through his hand of judgment or be it through his hand of mercy when he does lift this thing off of us. And we can, one of the things you were just saying, like at any moment it could be gone. I think we do forget that all the time. Like we get caught up in our own world and we forget the fact that God is merciful to us every day. So I, right. I think when, when this does end, cause I think it is going to end at some point, hopefully soon when he does, you know, pull back that hand and, and, and put his mercy back on us that we don't forget to glorify him in that situation. That, right. that thank thankful yeah. that he sustained us, but also thankful that he brought us out of it. Yeah. I mean, and kind I of like Israel in the yeah. desert, he sustained them through the desert and then he brought them out of the desert. Like don't forget that. And I think as the whole conclusion kind of is whether you're focusing, if you're focusing on the mark of the beast, if you're focusing on the antichrist, mm. you're not focusing on God's glory. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like you're, you're focusing on. This video uh, game is playing with yeah, us. Like like you're, yeah, yeah. You're focusing on the. Yeah. Yeah. You're just not it's focusing sensationalism. on the whole. It's the, it's the sci-fi action action thing of right. like this, these, these things that are meant to point us to Christ, to look at Christ. You're just looking at the things. You're looking at the signs and the wonders. You're mm-hmm. looking, waiting for the stars to fall. It's like, right. <laughs> those stars are supposed to point you to Christ. So, yeah. Right. And I mean, that's what's the passage that he, he can be glorified as the, the just and also the justifier of the ungodly. Like he's, he's glorified in his judgment. He's also glorified in his mercy. And I, I think we forget yeah. that we, we often, we talk about the mercy and all that, but we don't talk about how glorified he still is in the judgment. Like in this situation, what's, what's really been interesting about all of this is seeing like the atheistic worldview kind of collapse on itself. Yeah. Like all, all of the faith they had in science and government is just falling apart. There, there's no solutions from anyone. No one's doing what they need. And there's just the, all the things that they counted on, they're dead and they're gone. And like, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's not exactly, but it's like uh, the plagues of Egypt. Like all the things that you worship, no, they're they're done. They're gone. Right. Yeah. That's where we're at now. All the things that we counted on, our security, our jobs, our government, our healthcare, it's all dead. It's all gone. There's nowhere else to turn to. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. That's kind of where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're about, we're about at the two-hour mark. Cool. I figured this one would uh, kind of run long, which is good. That's, yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, I, yeah, it's a lot to unpack and kind of lay out and i hope we did a good job but um, hopefully this has been helpful to you guys encouraging in some way so i like to i like to end with this 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 scripture uh philippians 4 uh is one of my favorite passages ever um so philippians 4 let me see i know well because it's different i have it under my Philippians <laughs> 4 uh 15 well because there's different parts i like to read so it's, it's, uh for i just have to give 11. you a time. not that i am speaking of being in need for i have learned in whatever situation i am to be content i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So that's the sports verse, right? That right. people take out of context. And I like to say that, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That shouldn't be written on a trophy. Mm. That should be written on a cast of the all-star athlete who was sidelined by an injury, right? That, that fits the more context of like, you, you thought you had this great career and now you uh, broke your leg. That verse goes on the cast, not the trophy. Mm. <laughs> like learning to do all things, even sit on sideline, put out, injured you know um it says uh yes it, it was kind of you to share your trouble philippians um sorry i am well supplied having received from epaphroditus the great gifts you sent a fragment of offering a sacrifice 
acceptable and pleasing to God. And, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God will provide ups, downs. He's in all of it. He's in control of it. Nothing's taken him by surprise. And he will guard our hearts and minds through it. And that should be our prayer. Not that we get toilet paper or that we <laughs> prosper or whatever. Is that that God, that God guards our hearts and minds through whatever he has to bring us. Good thought. Good last thought. Um, one minor announcement, or I guess not minor announcement, major announcement. Yeah. Uh, we got podcast approval on iTunes. So right now, last week's episode is up on iTunes uh, under the time and place. So if you haven't got it or if you feel like a podcast is better than a live stream, I know that's Solomon was saying a lot of people have been saying that. And I understand it's hard to dedicate two hours to sit in front of a screen, but it's real easy to pick it up and have it on the go. Oh yeah. So uh, we'll be posting them. Hopefully all of them will be up pretty soon. Uh, so yeah, they're up on iTunes. If you want to subscribe, uh, check out the episodes, that's a new thing going forward. So we're real thankful for that. And for everybody who keeps watching with us, because um, obviously we're not scholars, but we, you know, we wanted to do something to kind of advance, kind of put the Christian worldview out there to, to, to be salt and light as much as we can. And this is the platform we have. So we're thankful for anybody who's willing to participate in that with us. Yeah, absolutely. So. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week. All righty. See y'all.